Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Grab your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. And today we're going to be looking at the third commandment, which is the commandment that says you should not take the Lord's name in vain. Lord's name in vain. Last week, we talked about the first two commandments. And as we looked at the first two commandments, we um, kind of came down to this last commandment. practical point, okay? And so I want to show you uh, that practical point um, up there on the screen. It says that God as creator and redeemer is worthy of all of our worship. Mr. James, you with me? I think it's after the scripture, brother. The practical point from last week. We're working on it. Okay, never mind. We don't have it in there. All right. So here it is then. It says, God as creator and redeemer is worthy of all of our worship. That's what one and two teach us. Hey, uh, this is what we're talking about. He is worthy of all of our worship. All of it. Now, worship is our response to the saving work of Jesus and is worked out in every aspect of our lives. So, question Is worship this hour-long thing where we do where there's music and singing? No. Uh, Worship is everything we do. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do is an act of worship. And so we must have worship. We must worship him alone, and we must worship him rightly. Okay? Not what we think it means. All right? So now... As we come today, as we come today, we're going to look at the Lord's name in vain. And we're going to talk about that. Now, as we think about that, we probably have this idea in our minds of what it means. So let's look at verse 7. It says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, or the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless. Now, if the Lord will not hold him guiltless, this seems like a big deal. Seems like a big deal. Now, we most of the time in our minds make this verse out or this commandment out to be don't use the Lord's name as a bad word. Don't don't use any part of his name as you would an expletive, right? And so that's kind of what we think about when we think about this commandment. But when we think about it like that, I just need you to understand that there's so much more beyond this than just don't use it as a cuss word. Because most of us, that was kindergarten for us as Christians. When we became a Christian, uh, he says, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, We said, okay. Most of us probably as Christians don't struggle with that. 
Don't struggle with that now. There's got to be more than that. Okay? So what does God mean when he says, don't use the Lord's name in vain? Now, do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, takes a lot of the commandments of God and he says something like this, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Do you remember that? And so you've heard it said, but I say to you. He says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you hate a brother in your heart, you've already committed murder inside. Now, if you say don't commit murder, most of us in here are probably like, okay, I'm a check. I'm good. I haven't done that. But Jesus ups the ante for what that commandment ought to mean. He goes from the surface to the heart of that commandment. And he says, but I say don't hate someone. To which all of us at some time would go guilty. Murder? No. Hate? Yes. And he says, well, don't commit adultery. And many of us would say, well, I've been married my whole life. This is the only person I've ever been with. And then he says, but I say to you, if you lust after a woman in your heart. And most of us would say guilty. We've looked with lust after another man, another woman. Oaths. He says, don't make an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He ups the ante of all of these things. He talks about marriage. And in the, the kind of the, the day that, that he's speaking, he says, you've heard it said, don't get a divorce. Or the one who gets a divorce has committed adultery. And he goes on and he raises the bar. And here's what we need to understand, that Jesus is not going after the letter of the law in this Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus is showing us the holiness of God and the standard by which we must live if we're going to please God in our own righteousness. If we're going to please God on our own, if we're really going to keep the law, Jesus shows us the heart of the law. Jesus shows us how deep the law goes, that it's not just this surface level, and that's what he's doing. And we can easily see the law as good advice to be obeyed. And so what we try to do is we try to keep the letter of the law. And if we look at the law as good advice, we're either going to have a really puffed up view of ourselves or we're going to be really depressed. We're going to be really puffed up because we think we do pretty good. Or we're going to be depressed because we know how bad we really do. But when we do that, when we try to keep the letter of the law as good advice to be kept, we might keep some of the law, but we're going to miss out on God's heart. And so let's get to the heart of this commandment, okay? So he says in this verse, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So first, I want to talk about God's name as God's nature. God's name as God's nature. Now in the Old Testament, we've talked about this before, oftentimes the name given to people by their parents was a characteristic or, or would kind of uh, show you, foreshadow who they were going to be. Jacob was called a heel grabber or, or a deceiver at birth, and he lived up to the reputation or the name that he was given. The name often indicates who a person is and who their character is. And the same is true with God. God gives us many names that help define his manifold nature throughout Scripture, and the name God gives to Israel concerning himself is the name Yahweh. Yahweh. And so I want you to remember in Exodus chapter 3, 
Moses goes up. There's a mountain, uh, uh, and, and he goes up on the mountain, and there is a bush that is on fire, yet it's not consumed. He walks up to the bush. There's a voice that comes out of the bush. The voice says to him, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground, Moses. God reveals himself out of the bush and says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to set my people free. Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses says, okay, if I go and I tell them the God of Israel sent me, and they say, who is he? What should I say? Who are you? And what does God say? God says, I am that I am. That word right there, that name is Yahweh. It is connected to his essence and his nature. And even in this passage that we just read in Exodus chapter 20, there are four times from verses 1 to verse 7 that the name Yahweh comes in. Verse 1, or verse 2, I am the Lord. That all caps, Lord, in many of your Bibles, is the holy name Yahweh. I am the Lord your God. And then it says in, uh, later on in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then twice in verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. He is revealing himself over and over as Yahweh. I am that I am. And it is connected to the Hebrew word to be. To be. So what's he saying? I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the uncaused cause. I am the self-existent one. I am the fire that needs no fuel. I am the creator of all things, the sustainer of life, and the redeemer of mankind. This is who I am. Isaiah chapter 9 says, His name shall be called, do you remember? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the God who saves. Later on, He is revealed as the Word of God in flesh. The name of God, Yahweh, holds so much in it. The name Yahweh, the word Yahweh, is used 6,500 times. In 19 times in the Old Testament. I counted them this week. Do you believe that? You shouldn't. You should not believe that. 6,519 times God reveals himself as Yahweh. This is my covenant name. This is how you will know me. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses says to God, Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God responded and he said, read it with me. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Moses already knew his name. But he's saying, you want to see my glory? My glory is attached to my being. My being is attached to my name. He says, I'll proclaim before you my name. Kevin DeYoung says the, to know the name of Yahweh is not merely to know something about God, but it is to know God Himself. To know Him Himself. His name 
Yahweh. He says, this is the name I'm talking about. When I say, don't take it in vain, this is the name. The name above every name. Now, in Psalm 111, verse 9, we're going to do a lot of Scripture today because I want to point to Scripture to help us understand what this verse means. Psalm 111, verse 9. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Say it with me. Holy and awesome is His name. Amen? Holy and awesome is His name. It's not just His name, is it? But His name is revealing who He is, and He is holy and awesome. Then it says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and for your faithfulness. For you have, listen, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. This is the name above every name. And this teaches us that God has exalted His name above all things. And since His name is exalted above all things, God's name deserves to have the highest place in your heart and in mine. Think about it this way. The first commandment. I think we've got these on the screen. The first commandment was the worship responsibility. The worship responsibility. That means don't have any other gods before me. I'm the only God you need to worship. Worship me alone. The second was the worship regulations. Don't have any idols. They're, they're, don't, don't create any graven image, but like we talked about last week, most of our idols are not graven in stone, but engraved into our heart. They're here before they're ever set up on a, mount, a mantle. And we might not ever bow our knee in our living room to an idol, but we will often bow our lives to one. Worship regulations. It's all about worship. Not, not, not just this one hour, but all of life. And in life, there should be nothing that comes before God in weight or worth, or in worship. And then the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord, in vain. It's a worship warning. It's a warning. Make sure that the name above every name isn't taken in vain by us, by you and me. What do, what do we mean when we say vain? What do we mean? Let's define it. Vain equals empty. Empty, meaningless, pointless. Do you remember the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon himself? He, what does he say? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? It's all meaningless, it's all pointless. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, start to finish, you go, man, this guy was depressed. He's got money. Money doesn't satisfy. He's worked hard. Work doesn't satisfy. He's got more women than any man in the world. They don't satisfy. He's got wisdom. Wisdom doesn't satisfy. So what does? Solomon answers. Everything's vanity except for one. 
everything's vanity, everything is meaningless, everything is pointless, everything is empty unless God gives it meaning, point, and worth. Everything. That's the beauty of the book of Ecclesiastes. Nothing will satisfy you but God. And that's coming from the guy who's had more than you, knows more than you, was smarter than you are, was better looking than you are, and was richer than you are. And he said, it all failed me. So meaningless, pointless, empty. And so in the Old Testament, there were four ways that the Jews thought that they could blaspheme the name. And they came out of Scripture, and you see them up here. One was that you could blaspheme or curse the name of the Lord. That's what it meant to take it in vain. You could blaspheme it. And that's what we often think of when we think of the third commandment. Just don't use it as a cuss word, right? It's more than that. They go on. They say, well, you can make empty and false oaths. And that's the way that you can make vain the name of the Lord. You make an oath in God's name, and then you don't keep your oath that you made in God's name. What does it do? It belittles the name of God. They went on. Another one, you could prophesy falsely in the name of Yahweh. You could say that God said something when in fact he didn't say something. And what you're doing in that moment is you're making little of God's name. You're making it empty. You're making his word pointless and meaningless. You're taking the name in vain. And then in Leviticus 22, if you unlawfully touch the holy things, you could make his name vain. And so what God's saying is don't take the Lord's name in an empty manner. Don't let the name of the Lord be empty in your life, and don't you empty it of value in anybody else's. So, the Jews took this to mean, one of the ways they took it is is that they would not use the name Yahweh in everyday speech. So they traded Yahweh in the Bible, in the Old Testament, for the word Adonai. Or they would just spell it with a tetragrammaton, four letters, Y-H-W-H. And so they wouldn't spell it out. And even still, if you read Jewish writings about God today, instead of using the name G-O-D, they go G-D. Because they don't want to spell it. Because they think that they can make the name of the Lord vain by overusing it. So the opposite of vain, Jesus reminds us in his, the Lord's Prayer as he teaches us to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. So do you see what Jesus is teaching them to pray is in contradiction, not contradiction, but the opposite of, in the the positive of the third commandment. Third commandments don't take it in vain. And Jesus says, that's right, it ought to be hallowed in your life. It ought to be holy in your life. It ought to be full of value and meaning and point in your life. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, the name of God should be hallowed from the darkest corner or the recesses of your heart to the outer things that people see, God's name should be hallowed. And then in Matthew 15, Jesus really helps us to understand what it means to take his name in vain. 
Now listen to what he says, and he quotes Isaiah 29. He says, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. Now, let me stop. What he's talking to, or coming, kind of defending himself on, is, is there were some of the religious leaders who came to him and said, hey, Jesus, why don't your, your, your disciples wash with the tradition of the elders? And Jesus says this to them, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Look, look at what he says, in vain do they worship me. Do you see that? In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So how do we take the name of the Lord in vain? Now this is how I think Jesus is helping us understand this in this passage. Two ways from Jesus' perspective, helping us understand the third commandment. How do we do this? Number one is when we have empty affections. He says, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. When your words and your actions, your words about God, your words um, declaring who God is, your singing, your uh, proclamation of the gospel, when your words and your actions are disconnected from your affections, we can worship Him in vain. Have you ever noticed... That, that kids often see straight through stuff, don't they? It's hard to fool a kid. What, I'm, what I mean by that is, um, you remember the show Art Linkletter? Kids say the darndest things. They just said it straight. But sometimes we, get, we can fool one another. We can come to church, we're dressed right, we say all the words. How are you? Blessed brother. If I was any better, I'd be like Elisha with a double portion. We say silly things. And our heart's affections are disconnected from the words that we're saying. We sing songs. In the words of our mouth, and the affections of our heart are disconnected. I know I struggle with this. And so maybe you're just sitting in on a sermon between the Lord and me. But we can worship Him in vain, take that name in vain when we have empty affections. When our heart is not connected to our words and actions. We can come to church, we can write a check, we can go to Sunday school, we, we can sit through, we can raise a hand and our heart's far from Him. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? What happens when we do that? We make, we make the commandments of God a religious checklist. I got that one. Nailed it. But our heart's not right. And the problem is we can fool one another, can't we? Because I, I can't see what's going on on the inside. And you can't see what's going on in my heart. But we can't fool the Lord, can we?
throughout the Psalms or, or throughout some of the prophets. They prophesy against a group of people because they say about the Lord, well, he can't see what I'm doing. And the psalmist or the prophet always says, the Lord does see. He is Elroy, the God who sees. We can't hide from him. We can worship him in vain. We can use his name in vain when we say or do things, but our hearts are far from him. Checklist religion. Or when we have empty truth. Empty affections or empty truth. What does he say? Teaching is doctrines, the commandments of men. So here's what we do. We devalue God's truth. Or we raise up man's opinion to the place of God's truth. And when we do either one of those, when we devalue truth or raise up man's opinion to be in line with God's word, we have empty truth. We're teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Now I know that churches would never devalue God's word. We, we would never as individuals devalue God's word and say, well, he didn't really mean that. Well, surely Jesus loves me even though I did that. Or even though I continue in this sin. Surely he understands what I'm going through. Surely he wants me to be happy. So if he wants me to be happy, isn't he okay with this? He knows my circumstance. He knows that I can't do that right now. I know he commands me to, but, but he understands, right? And what we're doing is we're making a God in our image rather than worshiping the God who is. We're taking the Lord's name in vain. Why? Because we're lowering the standards of truth to us. We're raising our opinions above his word. We, we can also do that because sometimes we can live lives that are not an accurate reflection of the truth. Do you know the word Christian means little Christ? Now, can you just imagine the Greeks in that time called them Christians? Or in Antioch, they were first called Christians, little Christ. And that was meant to be a derogatory thing. But can you imagine from a Christian perspective, going, man, they called us little Jesuses. Wouldn't you want to be called that? Like, wouldn't you want to be so identified with Christ that your life looks so much like Jesus that people just, man, it's a bunch of little Jesuses running around over there. But sometimes our, our confession, the confession of our faith and the lifestyle that we live do not align, do they? And what are we doing? We're devaluing God's name, God's word, and we're emptying it of truth. Now, are we all going to do this at some point in time or another? Are we all going to sin against God in a public manner that will cause people to look at us and say, man, those guys are just hypocrites? Probably. 
The problem is not sin. The problem is, do I have a lack of repentance? Is my life, do I show the fruits of repentance? And repentance does not continue in sin. Repentance hates sin, loves Jesus. Repentance says, God, I want you more than I want anything else, so help me to hate the sin that I love so much right now and to love you more. Does my life show repentance? A confession of sin, an acknowledgement of sin, and turning away from sin to Christ. So yeah, we're going to fail. We're going to fail in public ways at times. But are we repentant? Now, let's turn this in a positive way. God's name is hallowed when? God's name is hallowed when? Number one, when we respond to Him and we worship Him in spirit and in truth. When we worship Him rightly. Psalm 29 verse 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. There is a glory that He is, is deserved just because of who He is. And the Bible says, ascribe it to him, give it to him, give him what is due to him. And that's for you and for me. So when we worship him in spirit and in truth, with our affections, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, and when we hold up high the truth of God's word, his name is hallowed. And since it's not an hour-long worship service, but a lifestyle we have to ask ourselves the questions, do our words and our actions give, give glory to the name above all names? The glory that is due Him. Does our heart and its affections worship that name that's above every name? We worship Him rightly. We, we hallow His name when we worship Him rightly in spirit and in truth. Secondly, we, we hallow Him when we respond to his offer of salvation. I want you to read scripture with me first. Or this is Acts chapter 4 verse 12. It says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hear the word of the Lord. There is one way of salvation. It's not in doing good things, keeping the law, being a good person, trying to better yourself. That is not salvation. There is one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And we hallow his name when we come to him. Hebrews, we looked at Hebrews chapter 10 a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. Hebrews says we profane His name when we know who He is and we reject the all-sufficient Savior to turn to empty religion. We profane His name. So we, we hallow His name when we accept His offer of salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. And here's... Here's the problem is we have taken his name in vain. We have had other gods before him and we have created idols that we have worshipped and followed and they have directed us in life. 
So each one of us is a sinner. And we have sinned against a holy God. And his word in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 says that God will not hold him guiltless. And that means that we are guilty under the hand of a holy God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died to take upon himself the guilt of sinful mankind. We've taken his name in vain. Jesus never took his name in vain. We have idols. Jesus never had idols. We, we worship other gods. Jesus never did. The perfect Son of God took upon our guilt, upon Himself, our guilt, to save us from the weight of that sin, from the wrath of God at that sin, so that we might be saved. Not only do I hallow His name when I receive it, but I hallow His name when I declare His salvation. When I declare the gospel message to other people, I hallow His name. I make much, we make much of the name of Jesus. We exalt it on high. We lift up the name of Jesus. We give glory and honor and blessing and praise to the name of Jesus when we tell people. When we tell people. And the outcome is... Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says this. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed upon him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Here's the reality, folks. Each one of us will bow our knees to the name above every name. Each one of us will confess that He is Lord. And that will happen whether we're in heaven or on earth or under the earth. We will either do that in willing submission to the name above every name, or we will do that because we have been humbled and humiliated in hell. In hell, part of the reality of hell is that you know who Jesus is. You know the reality of the Savior. And for an eternity, you sit under the weight of God's wrath, knowing the truth. And so today, the call is for you. Practical questions of reflection. One, have you received the offer? Have you? Asked your, have I received the offer of God's salvation or am I trying to keep the law? Check, check, check. You'll never be good enough because you're never perfect. Is, God, is God's name hallowed in my worship? Or hallowed because my worship is connected to my heart? When I come and I sing, we gather as a church, is it connected to my heart? When I leave here and I live for Christ, is, are those actions connected to my heart? 
Am I loving the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength? Is it connected? Or are we worshiping Him with our words and our hearts or far from Him? Are we giving Him empty? Can't remember the word. Third, is God's name hallowed in my words and my actions? And fourth, am I seeking to hallow God's name by declaring the gospel to the nations? There are people around us that need Jesus, y'all. Did you hear what I prayed a little while ago? Good, Good News Club starts Tuesday. Tuesday. And if you're looking for a place to get connected to ministry, this is an incredible way to share the gospel. Over 100 children, 53 of them say they have no church home. That's a problem. And we know the solution, don't we? There are 53 homes who are disconnected from God's people and likely disconnected from God himself. And we have the privilege to hallow God's name before 100 elementary kids. Every week. So that they might bow their knee to Jesus. And accept the offer of salvation. And I want to encourage you. You don't have a place to plug in. You don't, you're not doing something. You don't have to be a teacher, do you, Miss Leanne? You just got to love kids. Be willing to serve them. So am I seeking to hallow God's name by declaring the gospel to the nations? Let's stand together. Christopher, you want to lead us?